Welcome back to episode three of Broken Oars Podcast, the first and best rowing podcast for people who think that rowing was better back in the day. Let's just leave it at that. Um, we are going to call this episode uh, Ballad of Broken Foot um, for reasons that will become apparent when I introduce my co-host. So, dear fellow podcast host, Dr. Aaron Jackson, uh, possessor of a mighty erg score and very little kidney. Um, why are we calling this episode The Ballad of the Broken Foot? Well, Dr. Hines, thank you for introducing me. The Ballad of Broken well, Foot. Um, I think this should be introduced as a salutary tale as to why if you are a rower, you should never try and go for a run. Because I, I well, I, I don't row very much anymore. I have just recently started again at Pine RC. Um, but I went for a run two Saturdays ago. Um, and it was painful because running is when you're a rower. But it was actually very painful in the foot region. And then shortly after I went for a run, I went to a taekwondo class where as I was twisting to do a turning kick on my standing foot, I found that the fractured toe that I'd fractured when I was running, I'd just suddenly broken, which was quite painful. It got even more painful when it developed subcutaneous cellulitis, which started traveling up my leg. However, they cut the leg off. Um, we put it in the freezer. We're saving it for Christmas, and we're looking forward to having it in place of a gammon after the turkey. And because well, of that, you do live in the north. We, well, we, we, you know, we have children up here just so we have something to eat in the harsh, cold winters. Um, yes. And because of the fact that I was in huge agony and in hospital getting my foot checked, the main voices that you will hear in this interview are, of course, uh, Dr. Hines and the inimitable, the incredible and the wonderful Di Binley, who is indeed a legend. And we are so happy that she is our first guest. We are quite honoured this time because we aren't just going to be blathering on for the next hour or so. We actually have an interview with something of a legend in the British rowing community, particularly in the club rowing community, the former owner and manager of Rock the Boat Clothing and Gifts, Di Binley. But before we go there... We are going to just do a little housekeeping. Um, I do think we need to correct certain claims about our podcast being the first, the best, and the original rowing podcast. Because even though we like to think so because we are rowers, apparently this isn't entirely true. Is this true, Aaron, that we've got this slightly wrong? We have got this slightly wrong, and if you have listened to our, our previous podcasts, we, we are making a point of giving a shout out to all of the other wonderful rowing podcasts that do exist. And this week, we would like to give a shout out to the wonderful Rebecca Caro or Caro. I'm very sorry, Rebecca, if I've mispronounced that, and her fantastic podcast, which we came across on YouTube. Indeed. So, as as part of introducing you know, die into the podcast and sort of giving people who haven't, who are rowers, but haven't yet had the pleasure of meeting her. Um, and in fact, given that she's not part of Rock the Boat Clothing anymore, not as many rowers will have the pleasure of meeting her, which is a slight tragedy. But I thought we should just go through some of the nice things that Di has done for us. For me, my, my classic memory of Di 
is her sorting me out with Kit um, on the year that I rocked up to Henley Masters on the Saturday, having left my bag at home and then subsequently soaking the kit that I had on. But when I'm just going to put this, we, me and my pairs partner steered into the dangerously maneuvering Temple Island. And, and I, I had, I had literally no money, no cash. And I basically kitted me out and just said, there you go, pay me when you get the chance. I, I think it's a characteristic act of generosity. I'm, I'm stunned because you've never actually told me that you managed to steer into Temple Island. But to be fair... We, Temple... we managed to steer oh, into oh, Temple we, Island. Oh, we, right, okay. I, I, I shall check with your pairs partner as to who you're actually doing the steering with that. Um, but to be fair, anyone who's ever rode on that particular stretch of water knows that Temple Island moves around like buggery. It's all over the place. It, it's never on the right it's side It's a of the different river. place every day. It's, it's a different I, I think it's day. the tides. Yeah, I, I think know. it gets pushed around a lot. It's it's very, very thuggish. It doesn't respect other river users. And frankly, the, the Henley Regatta Committee should have it removed because it's a danger to shipping. It's a danger to rowers as well. It's a danger to rowers and shipping. My introduction to die was obviously through Rock the Boat because if you are a rower of a certain age, which is basically anywhere in the last 20-odd years, You've probably worn something from Rock, Rock the Boat. They have the coolest T-shirts, the coolest sweats, the coolest hoodies, the coolest leggings. They do fantastic prints. So I was wearing dye stuff without actually being aware of who dye was. And then in 2015, I decided to row the length of the Thames with some of my friends. And luckily, some of my friends agreed to do it as well. We approached various people um, because what we really wanted was a commemorative T-shirt. Uh, to you know, We're going from source to sea. This is, this is a really cool thing to do. Let's get something to commemorate it. And I emailed Di, and she instantly, even though she didn't know me, and uh, they didn't have a T-shirt design that fitted it, she designed a Source to Sea 10 T-shirt. She sent the, the crew out um, a T-shirt each, free of charge. She also not just sent the crew free T-shirts, she sent our two super subs free T-shirts. And it was just a fantastic selfless act of generosity. By contrast to uh, Di's example, we approached saurine. If you're a rower, you will know what saurine is. It's the claggy stuff that sticks in your teeth in between races. They are a Manchester-based company of uh, fruity malt loaf makers. We asked them to sponsor us on our length of the Thames trip because we uh, were trying to raise awareness for um, Kidney Research UK, which is, which is a cause very close to my kidneys. And even though we told them it was for a good cause and we were a Manchester-based club and it had publicity, they didn't bother getting back to us. Di got back to us within about a day of me emailing it, had the t-shirt design, sent it out. Absolutely sound, sterling, fantastic individual and company. Can't say any fairer than that. Indeed. Um, and I think we've both, you know, th this was something that, and you'll get a bit more of the flavor of the history of Rock the Boat from the actual interview, but this was something that I think both me and Aaron would agree on, that we've kind of been at, at least a sort of very basic level, aware of Rock the Boat and aware of this presence in rowing called Die Binley since pretty much we've started rowing. One way or another, you, you hear this name and by the time you actually meet her in person, you feel like you know her and then she's just really nice to you. And so I am just absolutely delighted to 
say that she agreed to come on the podcast to agree to have a chat. And we had, you know, not only did we have a chat about Rock the Boat, we had an awesome I kind of chat about how rowing has evolved since the 80s and kind of looking at the way people did things then compared to the way people did things now. Shall we cut to the interview? I think we should cut to the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy. Um, so, I mean, just to actually sort of do the, so like, do a sort of like proper interview, why don't you um, tell me and tell our dear listener, our single listener that we have, I'm sure we have one, um, how you sort of like, how you got into rowing as a sport, where you were, what's been your journey through it. Um, and, you know, as I've thought of it, you are the woman, the rower, generalized legend, and somebody who's like, gave me kit when I fell in, <laughs> or forgot my kit, or did both. Um, and one of the most famous dog owners on rowing Twitter. So I um, started rowing in 84 when mm -hmm. I went to Lancaster Uni okay. because I took a hockey stick with me, um, planning to play hockey at uni, but they made you run around the pitch before you started the actual training. And I've never been a runner, even no, when I, I was, I that feeling. yeah, even when I was slim, I couldn't run. Um, so I needed to find something else, PDQ, that, that would, satisfy an itch to do some kind of sport but that wasn't going to involve running and happily back in the 80s rowing at Lancaster was you went out for an outing and then you went to the pub so it was kind of a no-brainer <laughs> yeah um I mean is, is, is that I mean d d just to like divert slightly is, is that something that you think has sort of changed a lot these days that people are take rowing vastly more seriously than they used to. I think you're right. I think that's, and I certainly think that's right at student level um, because student funding for, for various sports seems to be based on how well they do at Bucks uh, yeah. used to be looser. So there is, there's a lot more training. There's a lot more professionalism. There's coaching. I mean, we all learned from sitting next to Nelly, didn't we? Well, maybe not in when you started 20 I, years ago. I was, oof. Um, I, I came into it about 2004, so about 16 years ago. Yeah. Um, and there it was very much... So I, I was one of these strange people who enjoyed rowing machines. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then I got tapped on the shoulder by the captain of the UEA boat club, and he told me to go down to Norwich Rowing Club. Um, but then it was, yeah, it was just out in, you know, a training boat for a couple of outings, then in a single, then drying off, then back out in the single. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that was kind of, you know, th this is, this is something that me and Aaron are really interested in. It's like, it, it seems there's been this huge kind of change in the way people have approached. I mean, not necessarily at the elite level, cause you're always going to do as much as you can, 
but at the club and university and even school yes. level now yes it's there's just this how much more can we possibly fit in yes. um and 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 as i i think i came in just when that was starting just that okay you know, so it, it's never really been that much of a a kind of surprise to me i suppose but um it was just something i i kind of graduated into but sort of seeing it from like the other side of things where so there were, wasn't necessarily like ergs weren't necessarily ubiquitous mm. Do, do you think that that's almost one of like rowing's problems with accessibility? Um, possibly. I mean, I think it's very definitely a thing that it's, it's hard to row for fun now. Yeah. It's hard to be and to compete for fun. I mean, like we used to be able to buy a day ticket if you didn't want to be a full member of British yeah. rowing, you you could compete once a year for your club in the summer once the serious Henley stuff had gone on and you could go to Peterborough summer and have a good bash with the rest of the club it, it, without was, it being priced out. Was Peterborough so summer that, a big thing for you, learning? Uh, no. Well, I didn't start going to Peterborough summer until I was at Grosvenor, so that was in the oh, 90s. Okay. Oh, um, fair enough. Yeah, but it was a big event. That, yeah, because I that, that's where the I. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. That's what it's there for. Um, oh yes, but it meant that I wasn't quite involved in the shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 just like sitting here and I'm I'm thinking yeah I'm cringing. She's going to bring up now. a photograph of the Martin yeah. climbing and <laughs> yeah no I'm I'm sure yeah when I. You know, when, the, let's say, the marquee was being climbed, there weren't that many digital cameras in the world. There's no, no smartphone. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of those very lucky people who got his worst levels of stupidity out of the way before Facebook and YouTube. And, and thank stuff God like for that, that eh? I thank think God so, for yes. that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is... It, I don't know. I I can't actually, you know. I you know watching stuff like athlete A and and like hearing some of the scandals of of abuse that have gone in the, on in the sport. It is very unhappy that you can't do things like naked marquee climbing at Peterborough Regatta anymore. But I can also kind of understand that. I can kind of think that that's probably. That probably makes the kids a bit safer. Um, Absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm coming back into rowing after a bit of a break, and I'm I'm just thinking, how do I do this just for fun now? How do I do this without the 18k ergos and? But hopefully, what, what? Lou. Go on. Hopefully, Go the masters community kind of has room for both. Um, so when when I was at Grosvenor, for example, in the so I came I went from Lancaster Uni to Maidstone mm -hmm. when I graduated and was working in Surrey and Kent, and then I went from Maidstone to Grosvenor up in Chester, 
And when I was in, at Grosvenor, masters were quite old, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, certainly when I first heard about masters rowing, it was it was very much that's yeah, that's old man Tenley, old man nationals. Um, the, these days, you, you know, you're racing twenty nine year olds. It's not absolutely, fair. absolutely um, <laughs> masters A. And I mean, there's. The, the between under twenty threes and Masters A, there's four years. That's ridiculous. That's true. It's so true, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but now, I mean, now obviously, being I would, if were I racing, I'd be a Masters E myself, which is ridiculous. I mean, they were all crinkly and wrinkly. The Masters E when I was a whippersnapper. And yeah, obviously not. I mean, I haven't, nobody's got grey hair. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm I, I think i'm going the same way as as my dad he, on the gray hair front he he got away with just having like slightly fair slightly sandy hair and it, it wasn't until he was about 70 that anybody actually realized most of it was actually gray so oh wonderful I'm, i okay, might get away with that one just but, don't try and grow a beard <laughs> oh no no that that, <laughs> that age me ages me very rapidly so i mean in that do, do you think so from my point of view there is a a certain lack of fun there is a certain lack of places for the not necessarily supremely talented or yeah. massively completely dedicated and monomaniacal person to have a go i mean where where do you where do you see sort of like the the tryhards who want to have a bit of a thrash who want to is is that masters for you is there is there are there other places that sort of welcome that uh i i don't know enough about bucks anymore i'm i'm completely out of that scene so i don't know if at university there's room for them certainly at junior level it seems to be perform 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 um and very few club junior events where you can just be a, you know, train at the weekend, but don't do anything in the week, uh, which is where club rowing seems to suffer in exam years. I don't quite know how to feed this one in, but my daughter just got bitten by a spider. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh. literally, she'd just been bitten by a spider. I don't think it's terribly serious. We've got a picture of it, and we're just like... Keep an eye on the the. Uh, we draw a circle there. around the bite. Yeah, that's the draw plan. Draw a circle around without, and then if it grows, then you can maybe ring one one one. Yeah, that's the plan. But blimey, that was that was a bit of a shock. It's like, what's happened? Yikes. I've been bitten by a spider. Um, we'll see if she develops superpowers. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Dude, is she going to start climbing up the walls? Literally. Um, Quick summary of where we were. I've, I've no idea how Erin's going to put this one together. That was that was a bizarre thing. You you took the fairly standard way into rowing. So so you came in yeah. through through uni. Um, did you had you even think thought about rowing before then? Was that it was no, it even a, not no? at all. Be, because no. I knew obviously I'd seen the boat race on telly. I don't think I'd even watched rowing at the Olympics or anything. So it was literally. Well, you remember the Freshers' Fair at uni. It's just yeah. a case of wandering around and, and seeing 
what grabbed your fancy and I think I signed up for loads of different things like drama club I never went to and um but rowing I tried it out it was off-site obviously mm -hmm. we um it was out of town so it was fun because we all got together in the um, the underpass at Lancaster you got shunted into different cars you met so you met different people we weren't okay. all just first years meeting for the first time and it seemed to run itself as a club in a fun way so the captain had rowed at Bedford before um, she went to Lancaster and knew a little bit and a couple of the guys were second and third years and knew a little bit and mm -hmm. and it was great so everybody nobody was brilliant yeah everybody who had a little bit of knowledge passed it on and and, get, and it was kind of like that at Maidstone as well so by the time I got to Maidstone, I had three years of experience and there were others that had far more. There were others that had less. And again, we, we helped each other on and still managed to coach crews for the town regatta, you know, complete novices yeah. from the town um, for fundraising and so on. Where, where was the town regatta? What? It was run from the Bishop's Palace down to the, I don't know, was it run down to the bridge? I can't remember yeah, anymore. That, but that, it was, that makes sense. It um, was, so it was like six weeks, maybe it was three weeks of training. They had a couple of training outings in fours and then they raced each other. Yeah, that, that, that's always been, you know, the, the slight weakness in Maidstone's game. I mean, otherwise it's a great place to row, but it's like, it doesn't have... Or oh, not since I've been there has it had its own kind of repeated every year regatta that you could have a proper crack and a look forward to. We've we've run like a few kind of uh, time trials and things, and that's been really great. Um, but yeah. an actual kind of you know there there are I think a few places that you can like stick boats and have a crack, but everything gets a little bit tricky with the bait with the with the bends and the more boats it's all, all going yes. to go a bit wrong um yes but we so, don't want everything to be multi-lane do we i well I, I can go on about this forever because i i, I think <laughs> that some of the you know i look back at the amount of time i've spent preparing for multi-lane regattas and how utterly abysmally i've done at them and you know, you know, I I can't think of a. I'm struggling to think of a single great row I've had at Dorney. I, I I think I can think about one good, really good row I've had over two thousand meters at in Nottingham. But all all like the best rowing I've done, all the most fun racing I've had, has been some tiny little village regatta or like a yeah. media, you know, St. Neitz has always been great. Peter has always been great. Um, it's never been these huge, big kind of, sorry, uh, 2K rowing ditches as, as I've been known to call them. Um, and, and so, yeah. They've got I, their place, I, I, definitely. But I, I, I really do believe with I'm with you. River rowing, side by side river rowing, is something that has to be protected. And for I, some clubs, it's their complete lifeblood, isn't it? That's another thing that terrifies me. What, what you know? What what the heck is going to happen to 
it's not a tiny club, but St. Neots. It's a medium-sized club. It's got a good reputation. Yeah. And, but, and, and Sudbury, what, what's happening to yeah, their absolutely. revenue without the regatta and the beer tent in, in August? I mean, how, how are they going to pick that up? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose there are lots of things that rowing clubs can do, but I, I don't quite know what they are. Um, yeah, don't know. It must be keeping people awake at night. Um, but yes, yeah, so you could, coming in through, you know, through the nineties, you're you're racing at Maidstone, racing at Grosvenor. What what took I didn't you... race at Grosvenor. So when my pair's partner at Maidstone got pregnant, mm-hmm. um, she had her baby, and I never got back in a boat. Uh, except for a couple of guest exper- uh, guest appearances as a cox. So okay. I kind of moved on to the, I was supporting Mick, my partner, um, when we were at Maidstone. And then I just, you know what I'm like, I'm an interfering busybody with loads of opinions. So I got quickly put on the committee with the other and- interfering busybodies <laughs> with loads of opinions. <laughs> and then to the Northwest Regional Rowing Council. So that's, I kind of moved into that side of, of rowing and the networking and, and so on has always been my interest has been my, my social side of rowing, the friends group rather than the, I absolutely hated competing. Absolutely hated it. Would vomit on the start line. And Salmon made me cry at dance and dashes when she told me to pull harder in a Cox pairs race and I literally (laughs) couldn't go any harder. So I cried and that was it. I hated I th- racing. I th- I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if Anne personally has ever made me cry, but I've, I've been close to tears in the actual Anne Salmon boat a few times. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just getting beaten by Peterborough again. Um, <laughs> so you've seen all these sides and, you know, you, r- Rock the Boat, the store, obviously became quite ubiquitous as a site at loads of different regattas. And I've kind of felt that, you know, it's become a focal point and a, and a reference point for a huge number of people in the rowing community and the club rowing community. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure if you, you could talk to quite a few members of the international squad and they'd have like a few bits and bobs from Rock the Boat here and there. Yeah. And we'll have, we'll have browsed around, you know, your bargain bins at a regatta looking for, you know, a visor, as, as, as the Americans like them. And- yeah, you're right. But I mean, mainly that started with Annabelle. Okay. So, so Annabelle was very good and obviously very visible at that top level then my focus was very much at the club level. And as I'd been, so I bought it in 2004. So as I'd been involved for 15, 16 years, it was much, I was too comfortable. I was very much just in the middle of the market. And James, the new owner, uh, he's very, very involved in university rowing. So okay. I reckon that's a whole new breath of life for the, club, for the business again. Um, and James has very much kept the link with Annabelle. So he uh, sells her limited edition artwork um, 
as well as some of her designs. And he's also still using Neil Pickford, who I used as a okay, designer yeah. as well. So there's a lot of overlap. And the, the three of us that have each had the business are friends as well. So we, we do share ideas still. And I'm still kind of saying to James occasionally, oh, have you thought about this? And have you done that? And, and he's saying, yeah, keep your nose out. But, you know, I've got this. <laughs> and he has. But seriously, he has. And he's, he was he started working with me back in 2006, I think we found a, a design that he'd done for me for Warwick Regatta back then. Okay. So he's, he's seen the business for a, a certain amount of time too. And he's got his ideas on what's missing and what need it needs to do next, which is brilliant. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's seen other competitors come and go as well. Competitors in the rowing, clothing and gifts side, although nobody else seems to have looked at gifts quite the way that, that Rock the Boat has um, yet. But there's been plenty come in and had to double with the clothing. Yeah, I mean, there there do seem to be sort of new people who sort of pop in all in ones or just like kind of slightly more general exercise wear that can be applied to um, rowing all the time. Um, yeah, there's someone out there, but as you say, they don't seem to have quite the same staying power. Well, I think the staying power for Rock the Boat has been by concentrating on rowing. So yeah. Annabelle dabbled a little bit with um, sailing and horse riding. Mm -hmm. I had a tiny weenie dabble with hockey, but soon dabbled out again. Um, but rowing has very much been at the core, and it's been easier to be concentrating on the one thing and doing it well and building up the, the network. I mean, I'm all yeah. about networks, and it's certainly by not spreading ourselves too thinly, I think it, it helped the longevity. Whereas if you're a general sports brand, then you can't be good at everything. That's true. Very true. Saying that you've been doing this since 2004, that's like, that's quite a clear mark in everybody's minds, which is, which is Athens. Yeah. 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 Um, in rowing from, from your point of view, kind of looking at it from the bank, looking at, you know, the people who've, who've walked past, come to the store, the people you've met in that, in that kind of 16 years in those kind of four Olympiads, what do you think, what do you think's become better in rowing? And what do you think's become worse? Crikey. So better, definitely para rowing. Yes. So, I mean, 2008, first Paralympic regatta. Yeah. The Helene Rainsford Dyson. Um, getting the first gold for, for Britain at the first Paralympics mm -hmm. uh, regatta. So, and very much the para side of GB rowing has been fantastic. And that is cascading out into the clubs more. I, I, I Yeah. I, I feel that there's always been quite, so certainly at Maidstone, it, it was as long as I've been there and that's, that's been pushing 10 years now. There's been this kind of, um, everything has been accessible. There is a wheelchair access, there's wheelchair access, changing rooms. We've always had at least one para rowing boat. I mean, that, yep. that, that, that is something that I, I think is possibly is an unsung side of, of the club sport. You know, there, there are, yeah, absolutely. There, there are 
rowing clubs all the way out there who've basically said, right, we're going to make the investment to see, you know, who we can bring in as into para rowing and work on that. I think that's been, I think that's been really important. Um, and not just people with wheelchair access, but I mean, we've got Jackie on the BR staff with who has the hearing impairment. So yep. she represents visibly um, on the staff and on decisions that are made and is part of the safeguarding team as well on inclusion. And I think that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got... Um, we used to have the blind school in um, Worcester, uh, but certainly there are a number of blind para rowers around um, and all kinds of, yeah, a lot more para rowing is out and about. I used to um, actually sometimes be allowed to hold the guide dog of somebody <laughs> that had gone out for a row. And obviously that that satisfied a couple of my... <laughs> yeah. Fetishes at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, hardly terrible fetishes to have. You, you Indeed, like dogs. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that side of thing, And also the inclusion of people with less behind them in rowing so london youth rowing warrington youth rowing mersey youth rowing mm-hmm. it's now going to go into northwich youth rowing the stuff that they've been doing at leeds stuff they do at tees the stuff about getting people from a less privileged background visibly less privileged to get out and about and on the water and the supports for them but so for example a couple of years ago as rock the boat we um, were asked from Warrington Youth Rowing, could we get any kit for the um, people who had turned up to row and didn't have any kit at all? And we did a, a, it might, in fact, it might have been for Leeds, but wherever it was for, we did a quick shout out and said, anybody got any kit they're no longer using? And we were able to send kit to three or four different clubs for people who literally had no rowing kit of any kind to wear. It might have been a jumper that was different from their school uniform. It might have been, I don't think we ever sent out trainers, um, partly because of the shoes in the boats. Yeah, Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of of all-in-ones went out, a lot of leggings went out, a lot of tech tops went out to people. And that's really important. I don't think, I don't remember that happening before 2000, before 2004. And is is that something that you think is the message that if if you've got this plan about you're trying to bring more people in, you're trying to bring people in that you've never really had in the club before. If there are barriers, just, just ask, just like, yeah, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be, if it's not part of an organised system, it's hard to be the one that turns up at the club and says, I'd like to row, but I don't have any kit and my parents can't afford to get me any kit. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's, so it, no, 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 but I, some... that, that, I mean, that, there are, I think there are so many things in what you've just said there, but it was more about if you're, if you're the person who's trying to organise that, but there are kind of like, oh, we've got someone who doesn't have any kit, 
or we've got someone who is struggling to travel or um, yeah. knowledge. Is, is it just the question of just getting on Twitter, getting on Facebook and saying, look, does anybody have any ideas about this? And, and, and I think it's quite powerful when we do do that, when we, those of us who are in a position with a voice do say, are you aware and can you help? For example, there was a mother who came up to me at National Champs one year as a, a, um, when I was rock the boating, and so yeah. it was a year in Nottingham, and she said, I'm absolutely in bits, I don't know what to do. And I said to her, what on earth's going on? She said, my daughter's just won and been selected for Home International, and we cannot afford for her to go. She's going to have to get a doctor's note. And, you know, her daughter... Ne she needed something like a hundred pounds to be able to go to the regatta. Yeah. There's got to be, we've got to keep chipping away at those barriers. Yeah. Ju just that, what you might actually think is quite a small thing that will actually keep potentially talented people out of the sport. Absolutely. Well, on the safeguarding training that we did, one of the, um, which British Rowing had organised, Carol Cornell led our course, and she said, um, what about the kid that turns up to a, a, an all-day regatta and has no lunch? And you don't know if they've ever not had any lunch. Yeah. And you're asking them to race four times that day. How are you safeguarding that person? Yeah, blimey. <laughs> I know, it's awful, isn't it? Once yeah. you stop and think about it, it's absolutely awful when we're asking them to get to a rowing club for training, is it then our responsibility to say, have you had breakfast? Can you train? Can you do these double outing? You know? Yeah. And, and do we do it for the adults as well? Have you got enough money to have a healthy meal? Yeah. Before, before or after training? Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that, that's something that I kind of like, always when i've been coaching that's something i always want to jump up and down about was like okay you've it's not going to work everything you do is not going to work unless you're fueling yourself it's this huge Absolutely. demand on your body and you just got to i mean it's all also right from the start for me it was one of those great reasons that i could i could do rowing because basically you do rowing you can eat what you want um or, or at least well no let me rephrase that when you're 28 and you do rowing, you can eat what you want. When you're 44, it's a little bit different. Um, and that's what Anna Watkins said when she went to Cambridge University. She started rowing because she could eat cake and yes. be strong. Yes, you can. And, uh, and, and that's back to something you and Aaron were saying on Friday's podcast about going out to various events and the food. And, and you know, that's something for the podcast to look at as well. Best regatta food. Yes, this is very summer. true. Pete, well, <laughs> well I, to be honest, I've always felt that, you know, that's, that's the highlight of regatta food for me is like the cake tent. It's, it's, never, it's, 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 never, it's never been the, like the, the greasy burgers. For me, I'm like, right, let, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, see, let's see if we can get in there. So like before lunch and it's all gone and you find like the best homemade cake, and the best brownies that that that's that's yeah. your key thing is finding your awesome brownie um now that's one thing that dawny one. has got going for itself dawny has that lovely smoothie van and he's got a lovely um oats van as well at dawny lake 
you've got to remember it's been a long time since I've been back to uh, Dorney. Where, 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 where does he plonk himself? Where's he? Down near the centre because it's all under um, the, it's all let out by the centre. Okay. But there's a a French. Um, it's not a de chevaux, but certainly an old French panelled van. Oh yeah, I uh, know. And yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do very, very good takeaway there. Smoothies and stuff like that. And blimey, right? I'm, I'm. <laughs> okay, there, there, there's a reason. You're to adding back Dorney to... back into the list now, aren't you? Dorney Lakes. So like, go and have um, a quality <laughs> smoothie. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think it's something that rowing particularly the big events, the things that happen at Dorney, they can do a bit more of is have kind of like, you know, more food trucks, more of a bit of a gastronomic experience. I, what I'd really like to see, particularly at Masters, is a bouncy castle. Because, uh, yeah. you know, if, you, if you've got kids under 10, dragging them along all day to Nottingham Rowing Lake, there's not that much to do. And you know, Absolutely. a bouncy car- castle, maybe a fun fair, maybe a I dog know, crash, dog crash, ball pond, that kind of thing. I mean, let's face it, realistically, you could probably mix the dog crash and the kids' entertainment because kids love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the para rowing dogs. Yeah, we've sorted. Oh, yeah. That's it. There we go. That, that, that's that's the future of, of family friendly rowing right there. Um, but certainly Henley Women's Regatta was looking at uh, family-friendly activities. So they were looking at children's amusements and an area where kids in particular were welcome to make a noise and run around and ride their bikes. Yeah. Um, I, so I don't know if anything might come of that. I mean, I, I almost think it'd be easier to get that done somewhere like... Because you know, wherever you go in Hen. I've, I've never really been to Henley during daylight when I thought, oh, this is just the place to run around and be silly. It, it, yeah. it doesn't really have that feeling to it. But, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of open space at Nottingham and Dorning. You know, you could just, yeah. you, you could have like a big kind of, not even a marquee, but just like, a, you know, a proper gazebo and underneath that you've got juggling or clowns or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see... You know, because I, I think most rowers, men and women, don't necessarily have rowing partners. And I, I, I kind of feel almost that's one of the reasons, you know, it's something you mentioned, like the, the hourglass demographic curve of rowing. You know, we, we lose all these people in their 30s and, like, and yeah. 40s one of the things about it is just like you can't take your kids to an all-day race and if you do you are essentially you're just dumping them on your partner in in a strange town with not a great deal to do um and it's not really fair i mean it's it's certainly one of the reasons why i kind of kind of took a break from rowing about four years ago was this kind of well i can't just i can't just leave my wife to it with the kids well see um, i'm happily child free but um i do appreciate very much the um from the other wives and husbands and girlfriends and boyfriends and partners of rowers that unless you have rowed or are rowing 
watching your spouse do it is nothing yeah. <laughs> short of <laughs> tortuous. Yeah, so I can't just... imagine having kids there as well. I can't imagine the torture levels and getting up at 4.30 to get everybody loaded in the car to drive to somewhere where there's nothing for anybody to do but watch mum or dad row must be appalling. Yeah, the, the only time it's actually happened to me was um, when me and James had a, had a bit of a year at Henley Masters. And... Was that the oh, year of Mountain the Island? No, no, that was the year before. So that was when we were going in the double okay. at, double and the single. And Peterborough weren't there. Um, so we did quite well. And uh, so... But basically, Elsa was one and a half. She was 18 months old at that point. So she was still a little bit of a handful. And we'd booked, um, is it Acacia House, Primrose House? One of the B&Bs in in Henley. And she kept us up until four in the morning two-day thing Friday and Saturday and Saturday I was walking around like a zombie and the only time I was actually awake was when I was out racing on the water um and we had four races that day and the whole way through this kind of what was meant and it and we won double and single and what was meant to be this like crowning achievement of my master's career. My daughter slept the whole <laughs> way through until she, until about five o'clock in the afternoon. There's some great pictures of her just lying with, with you know, drool running down her mouth. Um, Wake well, me up I'm, when you've I'm got waving the medal. medals at the, ca- at the camera. Yeah. I mean, literally it was, it was, it was shocking. It's just like, Oh yeah, thanks. Thanks kid. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, it, it, that, that is, I mean, that's the silliness of rowing, I suppose. Not necessarily COVID related but, and sort of lockdown related, but where do you think, you know, looking at inclusion, looking at how, how do we make rowing as a sport, not as an Olympic sport, not as an elite sport, but as a, as a sport that people can just get involved with, how do we make that better? What, what's really God? If I could answer that, then I'd I'd never need to to think about anything else ever again, would I? But yeah, participation. How do we make it back to a participation rather than just a performance yeah. sport? Yeah, don't know, mate. Um, Answers on a postcard. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, but yeah, I mean by leveling as many playing fields as possible so making things as accessible as possible um i honestly don't know Uh, we don't we don't even know the answer at our local club level let alone for a national level or an event level so i mean okay i'll i'll pick you up on that accessibility thing because like one thing that you know we, we we were being silly about it but I, I said to Aaron on the last podcast, when I was joining, when I, when I went down to try and join Norwich Rowing Club, I did get the feeling almost that rowing is a little bit like Judaism. They make you knock three times. Um, yeah. that, 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 there was this, 
I mean, Norwich was a bit of a special case because it's down a track through a field that goes around a corner. So you can't, you cannot actually see the boat club from the road. I think Maidstone might be a bit similar. Agecroft was pretty good, but Furnival, all these places, I think that rowing clubs, without trying to be, are not very good places for people who don't know anything about rowing to try yeah. and actually turn up and join. I mean, yeah. who do you speak to? I agree. Um, and, you know... So, so for Ardingline, which is all I can talk about with any confidence at the moment, we have a waiting list of over 50 to do a taster session. Mm-hmm. And we're quite good at um, feeding out bits to the local press. We haven't done a great deal... Um, over lockdown but we do feed out every so often stuff to the local press and they run it so we've got a good relationship with our local press Uh, and that's important Um, we were also on BBC South East recently where our landlord had actually recommended that the BBC got in touch with the club um, to talk about some of our success levels so um, and we are visible in that well, certainly during lockdown, loads and loads of people are on the lake on their blinking stand-up paddle boards that they've bought off eBay and haven't bought a life jacket, but that's a different rant. <laughs> um, so people who know where Ardingly is, and not many in the UK will, how, can see the rowing club. We're quite easy to find there because yeah. it's in one batch of water in, in that area. Um, and as I said, they kind of find us through website that says we've got to learn to row or we're running taster sessions. We do get, I've had since lockdown, three or four requests a week that they want to get into rowing. Fair they want enough. to do a taster session as well as the people who have rowed before and have moved into the area. Okay. Um, and And do you... Do you think there's anything centrally, you know, is, is, is this something that British rowing could do more of, or is it just, we, you know, we, we've just got to spread good practice around? We need to spread good practice. We can't rely on British rowing to do it. I mean, there is the club finder on British rowing, which is a, a step forward from what it used to be on actually being able to track a club in your area. Or yeah, the area can that be tricky. absolutely um but yeah spreading good practice which is again there are parts of running rowing since lockdown that i think it's important that we do take forward and i'd started a thread on this on one of the masters rowing seeking competition pages on facebook earlier this week so i think we need to keep zoom committee meetings for arding live because that means that we don't all have to trek over to a pub hire a room at a pub to have a meeting because we've got no club building of our own um i think we need to keep on sharing good practice which has started quite a bit during lockdown and certainly for the unlocking you know sharing ideas on what kind of booking forms people were using for sessions what cleaning materials people were using it's all the kind of stuff that we need to keep going forward brilliant that is kind of like the the insight that I don't have, never having sort of been involved in the in the administration and running side of of running, so so that is actually a a really helpful and really um, useful 
kind of bunch of ideas there. Um, I, I did, did like your, your suggestion that one of the great advantages of uh, Zoom committee meetings was you could just like turn the camera off to roll your eyes. absolutely and then brian at grosvenor said he has his camera off so we can roll his eyes the whole meeting oh did i name check who and where he was sorry (laughs) sorry maybe we can maybe we can edit out brian at grosvenor (laughs) (laughs) who's also on the masters committee (laughs) so that's kind of like where i i was i was hoping sort of having a chat with you was going. So like getting that kind of historical perspective and, and like some of the ideas of how things, you know, the, the best things that clubs can do to bring people mm. in. I mean, is, is there anything else that you, that sort of like, w- what do you think that's like rowing isn't doing, but should be doing or vice versa? More good news and more exposure. I mean, for example, back in 2000, before the Sydney Olympics, there was the going for gold um, thing on television. The, the gold fever. Which followed, which followed yep. this, uh, Steve Redgrave's go for his fifth Olympic gold. And it got rowing loads and loads of exposure. And then the women got their first ever um, Olympic medal at that same regatta. And that got a little bit of exposure as well. And then we can't wait every four years for an Olympics to get more exposure. So the River and Row Museum opening in Henley was great, but we don't make enough of a song and dance about it. And there isn't yet um, a River and Row Museum in Manchester or Leeds or York or somewhere up there as well, or even in Nottingham where Blinking National Water Sports Centre is. I don't think there's even a display board in the Water Sports Centre <laughs> that says about rowing and the, the things that have been hosted there. And then... Um, Helena Smallman-Smith, who's at Expedition Rower on Twitter and, and Insta, she set up this rowingstory.com collection mm-hmm. of women's history of rowing. And it's it's brilliant. And it's stuff that we don't do enough about. We don't share enough. I I, I, I just like to, to second that, that, you know, anybody who listens to this, I really hope you go and check out Rowing Story. Um, but, and... I've, I've been trying, you know, if you could put in a good word for me, I'd be so grateful because I really want to talk to Helen. I, I think she'd be brilliant because the history that she's uncovered, it's not something that you could have just like, oh, go and read a book, go, go, and, go and look it up on, on the internet. It's actually Absolutely. kind of like, it's a little bit hidden. She's actually had to go and interview these people. It's like check, you know, records of this organization and that race and everything there. And... It's and she's done brilliant it brilliantly, hasn't story. she? It's yeah. so good. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'd love to have kind of, you know, because there, are, there were undoubtedly characters involved, and I'm, I'm sure there are, there are possibly more stories than um, have made it into print, and I'd love to talk to her and sort of uh, get I've some made hints myself about a big that. note, and that's one of the things that I'll do when we finish chatting. I'll make that's sure brilliant. that I speak Thank to Helen. Uh, yeah, um, she'd be a brilliant chat. I, I, As I, I with think Joe Lane. Joe Lane, what does he do? I, I haven't heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe it was Aaron that got in touch with him on Friday. But so Joe Lane is traditional boats, cutters, um, and so on. And he's just recovering from COVID-19 himself. Oh, he would be a really interesting chat too. That'd be brilliant. 
Yeah, no, yeah. no there is a there is a slightly kind of um, split personality aspect to the Twitter feed that we've got going. It's just like if you see something business like and and promotional, that's probably me. If you see something that's like taking the mic, that's probably Aaron. Um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he's not quite yet. So um, I'm basically considering this is going to be the voice of rowing within a year, this podcast. And he's going, yeah, let's just be Northern about it. Um, Fantastic. Let's just have a bit of fun. Yeah. Have a beer um, with friends. Absolutely. I, I, I think he's probably got the better idea. Um, yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Di, thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and well, thank you for considering i might have anything interesting to say i mean oh, generally oh, i talk a lot and most of it is crap well i'm i'm never gonna forget the fact that you know i rocked up to henley masters one year and without my kit on the saturday for the the pair semi-final and you basically said oh go on you can have those shorts and that t-shirt and then I promptly ruined them by getting thrown into the river um, <laughs> when we attempted to board Temple Island. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, but that's another story. Maybe we'll get James on on the podcast to, to recount. Oh, that yes. That would be good. He, he, Brilliant. He's, he's currently being unusually coy about wh- whether he should come on this one. But as I said, thank you very much. As far as I'm concerned, you are absolutely a legend in this sport. It wouldn't be the same without Bless you. Bless your heart. And um, all the best to Mick. All the best to you. Thank you. And thank all the you. best to the dog. And I, Thank you very much, I'll tell him. And I hope the spider bite has um, gone down. Yeah, well, I'll go and have a look at it now. <laughs> I shall see you soon, Di. See you bye. soon. Bye-bye. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, was our interview with the ever fabulous Di Binley. And just, I just thought for the podcast, I wanted to take five minutes and just go through the, the take-homes from the interview, what I really felt that I learned from it. And, you know, first and foremost, there was just the history of Rock the Boat clothing and gifts. It's been there forever. It's, it, it has been a part of British rowing forever. It was set up in the days before lottery when athletes were kind of responsible for their own funding. You know, you think they've got it hard now having to do that third 18K in the day. They didn't have to like make t-shirts to sell them to get to Seoul or to Barcelona or to Los Angeles. That's that's the heritage of rock the boat clothing, and I think it's really important. It's also the heritage of British Olympics. It's great that we have funding, and I'm sure that this is a question that's going to come up in, in the podcast for future debate. But if you look at, I'm not going to talk about British amateurism um, versus professionalism because that's also a whole other debate. But these people were so passionate about their sport and their competition that they found a way to do it. So it wasn't just about their earth scores and their performance and their, their being funneled up through the rowing pyramid towards these, these amazing events um, in everyone's life. They were so passionate about it that they found a way to make it work, even if it was on a shoestring and they were, they were basically busking to get themselves there. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's a really important 
take home that if you really want it, you, you, you'll find a way. You will find a way. And, and I'd like to point out, they came fifth. You know, that's, that's not nothing. That's, that, that is not nothing. Coming fifth in the Olympic final, it's pretty damn good when you've had to, you know, sing for your supper to get there. Uh, you know, learning by sitting next to Nelly, basically. That, that was her phrase for it. Actually, the first time I've heard that phrase. But it was just this idea of you do what the person in the boat next to you is doing and you ju- everybody just chips in and has a go. What else did we, what else have we covered in there? We covered how rowing's changed. Like you used to be able to buy a day ticket so you could get a flavor, yes. you, you could get a flavor of competing um, without having to pay kind of full price. And that was really important. She talked about shenanigans, about being young and daft in the age before social media where you could row for fun mm. and go away and compete for fun. Things that maybe have been a little bit lost as rowing has become a, a, a success story, which is wonderful for the sport, but where winning is becoming quite a preeminent force and quite a kind of narrow focus. He talks about uh, the improvement in coaching standards. And one thing I was really interested in, which I think that um, I think you'd agree with me, Lewin, uh, river rowing and its importance. The regatta is a great thing, but r- rowing and racing on a river is it's the heartbeat of British rowing and has been for decades. I I couldn't agree with more. And actually, to be honest, I'd actually say we both raced at Agecroft, and it's actually we didn't do enough of that rocking up to small regattas after Henley. Before Henley as well, I think it's really important to remember that there's not just the the build up to Henley and the fun stuff after Henley. There are loads of excellent, brilliant regattas all through the summer. They're run by clubs and it's one, it's, it's rower against rower. Maybe you have three, three lanes and you have to, you have to be a waterman as well as just a beast. Yeah. You've got to know what you're doing. You've sometimes got to look out for other boats on the river. And it's oh. genuinely an incredible part of the sport. And yeah, I yeah. really hope that people who are listening to this, particularly young rowers who might possibly be listening to this, who've got their eyes set on Dorney and they've got their eyes set on Home Pier Point, and they are thinking about Henley, invest your time, invest your time in some of the smaller shorter races you will meet wonderful people and you will travel to genuinely beautiful parts of the country that you live in that you would not see otherwise i'd agree with that i think i think Di and yourself in the interview because i was in hospital with a broken foot at the time when you did it make that point really eloquently and i think yes maybe agecroft we we did do a very full head season we did do a lot of the more out of the way kind of heads but there was a there was a huge focus on you know the big four regattas met marlow wallingford and then going through to henley we did do stuff like hollingworth lake uh, gloucester bristler and ross rowing on a river that kind of match racing head to head is fantastic and it's great fun and that's that's a real takeaway and yeah other other thing that really uh particularly that there's been a there was a recent mail on sunday article with most behe which did the fairly standard thing of um getting a few digs into rowing 
um, and a few, and possibly we'll go into this in the next episode, a few profoundly inaccurate digs into rowing um, about the type of people who do rowing, the, you know, kind of access and inclusion and diversity in the sport. But what I really took from Dai is that Dai being one of these people, um, that there are people across the sport from bottom to top who are genuinely passionate about removing barriers to people participating, about taking action to allow people to participate, not kind of big flashy, look at our brochure, look at our like nice pictures of happy smiling children, but just day-to-day basic stuff of organizing people together to let others row. And I think there's been real successes at all levels. I mean, one of the things that we brought up was para rowing since 2004, basically moving heaven and earth, and in some cases, large amounts of concrete, bring the disabled into the sport. I think that is not something that we get the chance to talk about enough, and I'm really happy that Di brought that one up. Yeah, I thought that she made a really good point about the fun and the community spirit of rowing when she started. And we, we caught something of that. I mean, I, I obviously came in after Red Bridge last time. Um, and and that, was, that kind of kick-started this lottery-funded upward trajectory that we've had since in the kind of professionalism of the sport. But my memories of starting rowing at Agecroft were that without the, the people who came down every weekend to the club, there was no club, and those people were not paid. So... I learned with a fantastic coach called Kev who spent hours going up and down the river with me in a terrible age, endlessly enthusiastic, endlessly patient, constantly supportive. You can do this. I mean, Kev has raised generations of rowers in the Northwest and given them a love for the sport. The volunteers were, were and still are the lifeblood of the rowing community, the people who turn up and do the job. And yes, it's important to have professional coaching standards. And yes, it's important to have professional safety standards in place. But that just that rowing for fun and that she could go training and then they'd go to the pub afterwards rather than they'd go training and then they'd go and check their lactate levels or, or they'd go and have a cryo battle or they'd go and do a, another core session. It's really important. We all like to race. We all like to compete. We're rowers. But it's got to be fun or what's the point? You know, what's yeah. the point? So that was a big takeout yeah. for me. You know, I, lo- I love that little chat about, you know, Getting getting dog crashes into into masters rowing and and sort of like mixing that with a child crash because you know children and dogs nothing could possibly go wrong. Not a thing. Um, Not a thing. And 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 of course the the ever important don't make people cry in the boat. You know if, if you can avoid that. <laughs> don't ever make anybody cry in a boat. Which which will I, uh, I actually now I think about it. Um, Yes, she made a very important point about that. I, I am not going to name any names about who, who, who ever tried it in our boat. There were some strong personalities and sharp tongues. Um, but yes, if you can possibly avoid it, don't make people cry in your boat. Yeah, it's got to be fun. And it's got, we're, we're all in this together. You know, this, this thing called rowing, you know, without being too profound, it's not a Hollywood ending. But without people involved in it and being passionate about the sport and loving the sport and turning up to do the sport and getting other people into it, we don't have a sport. And Guy is a um, Guy's interview is a 
is an example of what one person can do to spread the good news about rowing. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot to add to that. And I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. I would, I would just like to say that one of the things chatting, you know, it just popped into my head that, you know, I remembered whilst talking to Di, the 2004 women's quad final, um, where the totally unheard of Chinese women's quad took stripes off the British, um, the British women's quad. And I just like to say that was an absolutely marvelous display of clean and ethical sport by the People's Republic of China. And it, it made me happy to think back to it. And it also made me happy to think of those tears of joy from the GB women's quad on the podium, receiving their silver medal, thinking how fairly and justly they had been beaten by the People's Republic of China. I think so. So, um, yeah. yeah. I, I think... Yeah, I, I, think I, I... We're only three episodes in, but I think that we have displayed a, a level of fairness and openness towards uh, rowers all over the world and rowing communities all over the world. We do not judge... Um, we are here for you. We're here regardless for you. what their blood counts are. Regardless of what the blood count is. Um, and so, yes, it's not just about the winning. Lance Armstrong was wrong. But then again, Lance Armstrong did dope. So that's why he was wrong. Yeah, but we're not talking about Lance Armstrong in relation to anything. We're, that just popped into our heads. It did just pop in our so, heads. And, and, um, I, 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 I think we should probably, probably, probably stop there. I think we probably should. Thank you for listening to episode three of our podcast. We are gathering steam. Thank you all of you who have downloaded it, who have listened to it, who have left us comments on, our, on the Twitter feed. Please get in touch. Um, if you want to come on, if you're a rower, if you're a coach, if you have something to say, we would love to have you because, yeah, it's great fun to talk about rowing. That's why we do it. It is. <laughs>